Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made, was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to, to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the, and the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a, a, a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, the water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who, who drinks the of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, mm, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, that the salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then the disciples came back. They'd marveled that he was talking with a woman. And no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the, the disciples who were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his words, his work. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is, 
receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sword and reaper may rejoice together. So here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I, I, I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I, I was preaching last month in a church, and uh, after the service, but uh, they had a cup of tea, you know, the thing at the back. And uh, so uh, after, a, after the cup of tea, and you've drunk your tea and done all the chit-chat, um, I, I, I took my mug. I never know quite what to do with them. Do you know what I mean? There, there ought to be a, somebody with a tray. Anyway, I took it into the kitchen um, to, you know, hoping that somebody would wash it for me or whatever. And uh, the, the, there were a couple of women in the kitchen and, and one in particular. And uh, I don't want to be unkind to her, but she looked as if she'd just been knocked about a bit. Um, she was... she as if life had been rough. She, she wasn't a kind of Marks and Spencers person. Do you, do you know the type? Um, she had tattoos on her tattoos and look, looked a little bit out of place. And, uh, you know, you kind of do these assessments in your head thinking, what's she doing here? Uh, kind, you know, kindly, but prejudicially, whatever the word is. And, uh, and, and then somebody, one of the other ladies with a tea towel in her hand, Said, um, said something to this girl, and uh, she just started speaking. I said, yeah, she said, I've become a Christian. And in two weeks' time, I'm going to be baptized, and I'm going to be able to tell everybody what Jesus has done for me. And I was slapped across the face, because the Lord Jesus had brought this woman to know him, uh, but it hadn't kind of worked out on the outside yet. But the inside was changed. And, and I, I was talking to one of the leaders of the church after talking to her. You know, that was amazing. You know, it was amazing. New life is amazing. And, uh, and he said, yeah, he said, that the, the woman that, that runs the Chinese takeaway became a Christian this week. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, I went in and, uh, and, and uh, she looked a bit glum. So I talked to her and, and then she told me her story. I said, it's Jesus you need. She said, yeah, it is. Oh, oh, well, uh, give me a ring in the week if you want to pray. And so that he did, and in the middle of the week, she rang. And he said, you know, not half believing that it could have possibly happened like this, he said, uh, do you want to receive Jesus into your heart? Yes, she says. This is the woman, no Christian background at all, who runs the Chinese takeaway. <clears throat> that uh, I, I, I've known the, the area a little while, and... Uh, Somebody once said to me that it was full of covens. Um, the, the wonderful thing was that last Easter, one of the witches, an ex-witch, who used to run the coven, was baptized. And I, that when I say that these are not kind of people on the fringe of the church, is it, it's amazing, isn't it? That how does that happen? How, how do lost people, I mean really lost, the girl in the kitchen looked like, 
a classic type. How do lost people become found people? There's only Jesus can do that. You know the, the verse in 2 Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone. Uh, and the new has come. That, that's what being a Christian is. It, it isn't just going to places and doing stuff. It's the Lord Jesus doing something on the inside. And it, it's, it's interesting when we then come to the woman at the well that she was that kind of person, like the girl in the kitchen. That uh, Jesus, the contrast is quite deliberate, I think. That John's, first of all, in chapter 3, been talking about this Pharisee, Nicodemus. Remember the one? You must be born again, that one. And uh, so he's dealing with somebody who was, you know, a member of the Knesset, if he was alive today. That he, he was of the powerful religious elite. And he goes from that, per, that context to this woman, this undesirable, this not very nice, not the one you'd want your son to bring home. It's interesting too that in the first three verses it says that Jesus had left the south, left Judea, to go to Galilee because there was a bit of controversy going on over John the Baptist and he just deliberately walks into the most fundamental controversy. It, it says in verse 4 that he must go through Samaria. Well, that, that was a compulsion in him, not a geographical necessity. Because Jews didn't go through Samaria. They, they came out of Jerusalem, turned right, went directly east, up the Jordan Valley, got up to the, the, the Gal to Galilee, and then turned left, went west. That, that you don't go through Samaria. It's a dirty country. You defile your sandals and worse your feet. And, and Jesus must deliberately went through Samaria. And uh, if you are a, a kind of well-living Jew, I mean, you avoid women. I mean, it's just not safe. You know what women are like. You, and you, you don't talk to them. You, you don't engage with them. Because you, you, if, if you engage them eye to eye, you're making a proposition to them. That's what women are like. So you just have to keep away. And it looks as if Jesus deliberately went and spoke to a woman. And, and not a particularly desirable. I mean, she'd been around a bit. She, she went to the well at midday when nobody else was there. To, and Apparently the well is still there. I haven't been to Sychar, but that uh, wells in those days weren't those kind of English things, the little roof and a, and a bucket on the bottom of a rope. Do you know the kind of thing? It wasn't like that at all. It, that on the top of the well is a, is a five-foot slab of stone, round like a donut, and in the middle of the donut they've cut a hole so you can just drop your bucket down that bit. And it, it's about 18 inches deep. It's apparently still there. And it, the, actually the text says that Jesus sat on the well, which if you don't know that on the top of the well there's a big fat donut, you think that fact might sound a bit odd. But uh, that's why he sat on the well. And he sat there to meet an outcast, uh, an undesirable, um, somebody that you... He, he, he seems to have actually waited for her at midday. And it, it, look... Jesus appears to be totally indifferent to taboo or political correctness or 
tradition or peer pressure or public opinion or protocol, all of that stuff. He couldn't give a hang. He, he wants to, he's gone from Nicodemus the Pharisee and he wants to meet this woman. He, he is intentionally going to speak to one of the least, the low, and the lost. Now, there are a couple of things. I only got two points. Sorry, I don't know what happened to the other one. Uh, but I've got, I got two points this morning. And the first is that Jesus touches the untouchables. She, she, I suppose we would call her a kind of a midday woman. If you were a self-respecting woman, one, you didn't go on your own. You went with a group of women. That, that was in part for social reasons, but also the water pots that they put on the heads, when they're full of water, are very heavy. And you've got a job to get it up there on your own. So, you know, and don't go at midday. It's boiling hot at midday. Go early in the morning. So the fact that this woman went at midday and went on her own meant that she was wanting to avoid social contact. She's an, ad, an outcast. She's a kind of bad type, an undesirable. And, and Jesus sits on the well. <laughs> I'd like to watch the video in heaven, or whatever it is, <clears throat> because you know, there, there were, if you were a self-respecting Jew, there was a 20-foot rule. I think it's a great idea. You know, it's kind of man's zone. And, and, you know, that, that if Jesus is sat on the well, that the woman would wait until the bloke walked 20 feet. Because, yeah, as you would. <clears throat> Don't talk to womankind, apparently, was the way the Jews put it. But this woman is waiting for him to shift, and he doesn't move. She just says, sat on the donut. And, uh, well, she's, you know, she's a bit of a brazen type. So, you know, okay, well, if you want to sit there, I'm coming to you. So the, the, the tension in the air and the kind of um, jockeying for position must have been fascinating to watch. So then the woman walks to the well within the 20-foot zone to talk to Jesus. And uh, he says... I mean, this is just cutting across out. He says, give me, give me water to drink. He, he didn't say, throw me your bucket. He didn't kind of go spiritual and say, you know, I've got, you know, life-giving water for you. It's interesting. He, approach, he approaches the downcast, down-and-out woman by asking her to serve him. What an interesting model for mission. He's not patronizing this woman. He, he's engaging, letting her do something for him. That uh, he didn't have a bucket. I, I didn't know this. I, th I thought this was quite interesting. That if you were a traveler in the Middle East at that time, you carried a leather pouch with, a, with two sticks like that, that, when, that which shrivels, so that when you opened them, the bag underneath opened. You put a stone in it. It had a string on it. And uh, you put it down the middle of the donut to get your water. And, and then when you got your water, you folded the things like that, wrapped the leather around it, and wrapped the string that put it down the well around it, and you kind of carried it with you. So clearly, and again it underlies the intentionality of this, 
that the disciples had cleared off with the bucket. That there was not one at the well for everybody to use. Everybody carried their own, apparently. So Jesus let the disciples walk off with the bucket when they were going to the town for food while he waited for the woman. Can you see it? I mean, he, it's a setup, isn't it? And he's meeting this Samaritan. That was bad enough. I mean, 400 years before, the, the, the Assyrians of the north had carted off the people of, of that area of the north and moved foreigners in, and they'd intermarried and become a half-breed. So Jews just regarded them as untouchables. And uh, they, they even have, and to this day, they have their own Samaritan temple. They don't offer lambs on it, they offer cockerels. How offensive is that? And th this is the woman. And therefore it says, doesn't it, in verse 9, that Jews have no dealings whatsoever. And Jesus offers this woman, he says, I'll give you living water, spring water, fresh water. That's what living water means, that uh, what comes out of the well would be a little bit warm and stagnant. It had been there a while, but Jesus is offering her a spring of living water. And uh, she accepts this is great, she says. I don't have to come here. <laughs> Avoiding the people at lunchtime. And, and then Jesus, you know, so it, she, she's drawn into the conversation, really interested in what Jesus is offering. And then he turns it. Don't miss this. Verse 16 and 17. I think we would call it a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge where he didn't know because he knew the woman or her people had tittle-tattled about her. He knew by the Holy Spirit, in his mind and heart, everything about this woman. That's how Jesus operates. And he, he, he turns to her and says, okay, well, bring your husband then. Oh, you know, sore point. How embarrassing. We were getting on so well. And Jesus just probes at the very center of this woman's past. Actually, uh, I've had five husbands, and then the one I'm with now, I'm not married to. That puts it outside the social pale, okay. Common law, no, no common law, no partners in this day. This was a woman who kind of recycled husbands. Why everybody would want to do that, I don't really understand. But, but understand that Jesus went for her personally. He, he confronted her. He put his finger right on the point of her guilt and need. <laughs> we live in a day, oh, evangel, you don't do that. You know, just tell people that God loves them unconditionally and uh, he doesn't really mind. What? I, I, I'm not sure that, you know, we, we, we mustn't be judgmental. Well, that's true. I'm not the judge. He's upstairs. But we must be tolerant or, or just loving. I, we really must notice what Jesus did. He, he, re, he related to this woman right where her sin was and didn't pussyfoot around it. He, he, this woman, as, thank you, Jacob, needs to come to a place of repentance. Until she acknowledges her sin, she ain't ever going to need a saviour. 
Saviors are those who save us from sin. So Jesus is not being unkind. He's not kind of wanting to make her feel bad. He's, he's wanting to her to be honest so that she comes to a place of repentance. And, and God is like that, isn't he? Wouldn't it be great if God just kind of said, oh, well, there we are, that's David. <laughs> he lies. He swears like a trooper. Never mind. No, no, God loves me as I am, but he loves me too much to leave me that way. And we, 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 must, we mustn't kind of fudge and say that, oh, well, that, we used to call that wrong, but we don't call that wrong anymore. You know, in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says, don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he defines what the wicked are. He says, neither the sexually immoral. Well, that's the woman by the well. She's in trouble. She, she needs a savior. That, nor idolaters. Well, that's reasonable. N nor adulterers. Nor male prostitutes. Nor homosexual offenders. I mean, God is explicit. I remember hearing Peter Tatchell of Outrage, one of the gay rights organizations, saying that what Mein Kampf is to the Jew, the Bible is to the homosexual. I've got to say, he was true, he was right. The Bible is particularly explicit that God is ticked off by those that don't live by godly order. But listen, that we like to choose our favorite sins to be protesting about, but Paul goes on that, that, that nor thieves, nor the greedy, oh, Oh, that's embarrassing. Nor drunkards, nor slanderers, people that run others down behind their back, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So clearly, our past and putting things right and coming to forgiveness and cleansing is very, very important to Jesus. He, that... Uh, that he wants this woman to be forgiven and her six husbands or five plus one. It's just, it's just an awkward moment. He's talking to her about her past uh, and she wriggles and then tries to sidestep it, doesn't she? She, she, she says, oh, well, you worship in, in Jerusalem and we worship on Gerizim. At, uh, mm, you know, and, and just wants to talk religion. There's a little bit of hypocrisy in it, I'm sure, because no doubt she never went to the temple <laughs> on Gerizim because she would want to avoid the people because of her reputation. But uh, Jesus is talking about repentance as a way to new life. How, how I need to make a clean break and come to God for forgiveness. I don't know what the rest of the conversation was in this sense, but clearly... The woman came to life. She found forgiveness. She found grace and hope and faith. Because in no time at all, she's off. She's running into the town to say, Oh, come and meet a man. And listen, what does she, notice what she says. She says, Who told me everything I ever did. Now, at one point, she was ashamed of everything she'd ever done. But now that Jesus has forgiven her, she's happy to talk about everything that she 
ever did. And uh, you have this wonderful picture of, of everybody coming out of the town to see, and Jesus looking at them and saying, the fields are white. I wonder if they were all walking up the hill when Jesus said, the fields are white for harvest. That, that, and, uh, that, and then you have what they call the Samaritan revival, where the whole town, oh, come and spend two days. When we were walking up the field, Liz said, you know, that was countercultural too for a Jew to spend two days with a bunch of Samaritans. I mean, they're not nice people. You know, you, you don't, wouldn't want anybody to know you'd been there. But the fact is that God loves Samaritans. God loves women by the well. God loves people that are not like us. God loves people that look different, smell different. That I wonder how many of the five husbands walked up the hill. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, the first woman preacher, very effective evangelist, as Jesus is looking for the lost, the least, and the low. That's the first thing. That just get it, that Jesus loves sinners. Swindlers, greedy, immoral, he loves them all, and he wants them all to come and find forgiveness and cleansing. The second thing, I said I only had two. She tries to deflect the conversation onto the temple, verse 19 and 20, even though she probably didn't go. It was a, a kind of a sidestep. And Jesus says, yeah, hmm, that's how it used to be. But God now is looking for a, a kind of a new day. It's not going to be, be... Being a Christian, if I may paraphrase it, isn't about externals anymore. It's not about buildings or places or ceremonies. It's not about your race or your tradition. That God is going to do a new thing in people's hearts. The gospel is different like this. We, the, the, if somebody becomes a Christian, they get a new heart, a new life, a new spring within their being, a, a new source of life, a new dynamic, a new reality. That uh, Paul writes into the Corinthians, said, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God lives in you? Because that's how it is for, to become a Christian. It isn't membership of a club. It, it's God indwelling me. God, God being present with me. People with a resource and a reality within. Do, do you remember Jesus at the great day of the feast, John 7, coming to it later? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within. So Jesus is clearing previous practice out and he's saying to this woman, this immoral woman, this socially unacceptable woman, that there, there can be a spring of water in you. That's amazing. Not just for Nicodemus, that God transforms immoral, guilty, people with a regret about their past, and we're all in that category, and, and so that God is here, not there. So that I, my life comes into God's zone, God is spirit, and God is looking 
for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So people say, oh, is that spirit capital S or lowercase? Is, it, is that truth capital T or integrity? Well, both. That's the wonder of it. The spirit of God comes to live in me, in my spirit, in here, as you're looking to me. A, a pretty ropey, rubbish temple, not the best example that should be on this platform, but the Spirit of God lives in here and has done whew, for a long time. And the, the, the truth of God, the Word of God, has come in here, and in you, I hope, and, and produced integrity in life. Truth has produced truth. Even in a woman by a well. So however well Jacob leads the worship, but that's not what I need to worship. I, I don't need a great band, although we, we have one. I, 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 I don't need a, a particular place or a music style or a, a, an atmosphere. No, no, it's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God in my heart, in my life. It's this atmosphere. I remember an old pastor said, somebody commented, how is it you're always happy? He said, I carry my environment with me. Huh? Isn't that terrific for a Christian? No matter what you go up, whether times are hard or times are great, God, in my heart, there's a spring of fresh water flowing. My soul has been satisfied. Whoever it was that talked about the God-shaped blank in, a, in everyone, my God-shaped blank has been filled. Is yours? It was Augustine who said, my soul is restless until I find rest in thee. When I came to Christ, I've never gone looking for another saviour since. <laughs> in, in 1969, I came to know Jesus and he put his spirit in my heart. I mean, how life-changing is that? You should all now be on your chairs cheering and, and throwing things in the air, shouldn't we? I... I found the treasure and bought the field. Did you? Huh? This, this, this spring of life, of life in my heart is the most important thing about me. But I am, I am old enough. Are you old enough to remember Malcolm Muggeridge? Ooh, all the old people grunted. <laughs> he was a kind of journalist, raconteur. And, uh, he used to be a, 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 a left-wing uh, communist and kind of went to the other extreme a bit. This is what he said. Listen to Malcolm Muggeridge. I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That makes him a celeb. He, he was one of the first. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough money to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the Inland Revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heeded for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together, and they are nothing compared against one draft 
of that living water that Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. Have you found the spring of life? They, we're going to sing a song in a minute How, to those who are thirsty. That's for, it's from I, 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 Isaiah 55. Come to the, come to the waters, say. That uh, the psalmist, for you is in the in you is the fountain of life, a spring in my in my heart. Uh, and you could almost say we like talking in these terms nowadays, don't we? That the lady was on a journey almost, because when she first approached the donut, the bloke there, there was more to him than she realised at the time. To put. <laughs> To make an understatement. By verse nine to 19, she says, Ah, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's getting there. But by verse 29, even though Jesus said to you, I am he, <laughs> she goes into the town and said, I think it might be the Christ. But by the end of it, of course, it, the whole town is saying he's the saviour of the world. And I, I wonder whether we've come on that journey there's more to him than I saw at first. And, and she needed to come and ask and, and, and ask for this living water. So, you know, what, if I am religious at all, what's that based on? Is it, is it a place, a form, a tradition? Or is it God working in my life? The, the woman at the well met with Jesus for herself. And her life changed from the inside out. The woman in the kitchen changed from the inside out. Let's just bow our heads together. It may be this morning, and just in the quietness of your heart, and this is a personal thing, it's between you and God. You know in your knower that you haven't met Jesus and received this spring in your heart of living water like the woman at the well did. You're looking in. You've seen things in people's lives and you've heard about Jesus and you know there's more to it like that woman did in her first encounter. Well, you, you, you can speak to the Lord Jesus this morning and say, Lord Jesus, I've been living in a desert getting my own water. And you say that you will come into my heart and forgive my sin and cleanse my past like you did for this woman. And you will put life in my heart too. Oh, Jesus, I want the living water. Will you come into my life? You're praying that way this morning. Speak to Bryn before you go. And it may be that just as a Christian, you just got tied up in Jerusalem and Gerizim and all this stuff. And you've, you've forgotten about the well, the spring, fresh water. And you need, we need to come to Jesus this morning and say, Lord, I want what you have. 
renewed and refreshed in my life. Maybe everything's fine, but when you hear about those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth, think, wow, that's where I want to be. Lord Jesus, as we sing this song, will you come by your spirit and cause our hearts to genuinely respond? I'm not going to make an appeal. Nobody's going to walk to the front and be embarrassed. I'm just going to, Jacob's going to lead the song about those that are thirsty, come to the waters. Will you speak to God as you sing it? Will you make this a very important renewal moment in your life as you sing it? Amen.